0: Ready or not, it's not hide and seek. He doesn't hide anything, he makes himself known. Everything he's going to do, he makes it known. And my, my question I guess my, my question, bottom line question, is this when the king of glory comes to take his church, are you ready to go? Are you, are you ready to go? And the question is really more, it's more than that, it's more than, well, Mike, you're ready to go. The question is bigger than, well, Mike, are you going to be in heaven one day? Have you accepted Christ as your Savior, is the King your King, is the Lord of glory your Lord, is the Savior your Savior? Has there been a time in your life that you have made Him, and are you making Him the Lord and Savior of your life? Mike, are you going to heaven one day? The question's even bigger than that. The question is also, Mike, who are you taking with you? He wrote the song years ago, Thank You. He said, I I dreamed I went to heaven and you were there with me and we walked along the streets of gold beside the crystal sea. And you heard the, the, the angels singing and someone called your name. You turned and saw this young man. He was smiling as he came and he said, friend, you may not know me now. And then he said, but wait, you used to teach my Sunday school when I was only eight. And every day, every week, you would say a prayer before the class would start. And one day when you said that prayer, I asked Jesus in my heart. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm so glad you gave. And another man stood before you and said, remember the time a missionary came to your church and his pictures made you cry. and You didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway. And Jesus took the gift you gave. And that's why I'm here today. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm so glad you gave. And one by one they came, as, as far as the eye could see, each one somehow touched by your generosity, little things that you'd said and done, sacrifices made, unnoticed on the earth, but in heaven now proclaimed. And, and I know that up in heaven, you're not supposed to cry, but I'm almost sure there were tears in your eyes as Jesus took your hand and you stood before the Lord. And he, he said, my child, look around you for great is your reward. Thank you. Forgiven to the Lord, I'm a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm so glad you gave. You know my heart's cry more than a thousand other things in this earth is one day when I stand before my King in glory, and I am going to stand before Him as His child because I am His child, and and and. You're his children, aren't you? Yes. I mean, I, I wouldn't embarrass you for the world, um, you know. But but if I but if I, don't do this, don't do this. If if I ask you, hey, if if you belong to the King, would you raise your hand? And if you don't belong to the King, just do two of these. I wouldn't do that to you, but I'm just I'm just I'm just asking you. You know, you, you do belong to the King, don't you? And and my heart's cry more than anything else is that I would. I would stand before him one day and I would turn around and there would be a line of people that were there because I cared enough to reach them for him. You know, because it's not enough just to love the king. It's not enough just to be part of his family. It's not enough just to be part of the church. Somebody's supposed to be there because I'm here. Somebody's supposed to be there because you're here. There are people that God has entrusted to us to make a difference in their lives, to witness and to share our life and to share our faith and, and to walk with him in faith and to walk with him in holiness and, and and to share his life and his goodness. It's not enough just that they come to church and that they hear the word from the preacher. They got to hear the word from, from our lives. And it's not just our lives, it's it's our lips. It's one of the saddest verses. It's not the main text that we're going to this morning, but it's it's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. It's it's in Jeremiah. And of course, Jeremiah had such a hard life as a prophet, and people made life so difficult for him. And and he gets down in his writing, you know, he wrote the book of Jeremiah, he wrote the book of Lamentations. He gets down in chapter 8 and he wrote this one verse. I want you to take your copy of God's word and turn to Jeremiah chapter eight. If you haven't been to Jeremiah in a while, it's, you t- go to the book of Psalms in Old Testament and make a right. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Just make a right from Psalms, you'll, you'll get there. Isaiah chapter eight, it's just one verse. It's just one verse. It's the verse that makes me weep. Jeremiah chapter eight. Verse 20, it's it's an agricultural verse. Those of us who grew up in the country, who grew up around farms and own farms, we understand it well. But you don't have to grow up on a farm to understand it. Here's the verse. Harvest has passed. Summer has ended. But we have not been saved. Harvest is past, summer has ended, but we have not been saved. Here's the imagery. It's the end of summer. It's the end of the harvest. The workers have been out in the field for months. They prepared the ground, they they sowed, they watered, they tended all summer long. The, The harvest has come. They've harvested everything from the field. They have worked hard six days a week For months on end, some of us remember what that was like. I remember growing up working tobacco fields for my granddad, later for my uncle. I I remember priming the tobacco. I remember by eight o'clock, nine o'clock in the morning, you were soaking wet. You had grit. You had streams of mud and dirt going down your face. Your eyes were burning from the tobacco, from the salt, from the sweat. You had grit in your teeth. You hadn't eaten anything, but you would bite down. You know how it was years ago. You'd bite down and and, and there'd be grit in your teeth. And it was hard, hard work. And then it would be 100 degrees later that day and you were working and you worked it day after day after day after day, preparing, priming, putting it in the barn. You remember that, some of you, or some other crop that you gave. The imagery is they have been working all week all month, for months. and it's, I want you to get the imagery, it's, it's, it's the last day of the season. The harvest is over, they've, they've, they're leaving the field. And if you're standing on this end of the field and, and you're looking across the field, up on that end you see the workers leaving. Their clothes are matted to their bodies. There's sweat and dirt. Every part of them is as wet as if they jumped in a river. And they, they stink. They're dirty. They, they have the implements, the hose, the, the, over their shoulders, the, the, the tools that they're using. And, and the sun is setting over the horizon. And you're watching them as they leave the field. And that's the imagery in Jeremiah. And then the picture changes, cause the guys who were getting ready to leave the field, to leave the harvest, who've been working it all day, they hear someone calling their name. Someone back here on this end of the field. Wait! Wait! Stop! Don't go! Over here! We're over here! Don't leave! Don't leave! And they're screaming and they're waving and they're trying to get the attention of those who have been working the field. But those who've been working the field are leaving. The harvest is over. It's time to go home. It's time to enjoy the bounty of the Father's table. The season is done. It's all over. Time is no more. They're leaving. It's a picture of them headed to their heavenly home. And over in this end of the field, you hear them screaming. Wait. Look at us. We're all here. Wait. Come back. Come back. We are not saved. And they leave. Harvest is past. Summer has ended. And we are not saved. I know people who are lost. You you know people who were lost, and, and you know this. When, when you and I leave this earth, there's only two places out there. There's heaven for those of us who know Christ, and he is our Savior, and there is hell for those of us who don't. And when you get out there, you're going to end up in one of two places. And when you get out there, it's too late to change from one place to the other place. It's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. These guys didn't make it we are not saved i i know people that that i love and 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 they're in hell and i think about them the main text for today is in luke chapter 16 i want you to take your Bibles and turn to the New Testament book. I, I want you to have in your minds the picture of those who have left the field, those who are headed to the Father's house, those who are headed to the Father's table. But I want you to turn around and look at the other end of the field. There are people that you know, and there are people that you love. There are people that are in your family and that are on your streets, and they don't know the King. Somebody's got to reach them. Look at the person beside you and say, You're it. Oh, that was kind of pitiful. Look, look at the person <laughs> behind you, beside you, in front of you, Tap him on the shoulder and say, you're it. <laughs> say, oh no, I'm not it. Somebody else is it, but I'm not it. I'm, I'm, I'm not an evangelist, I'm not a preacher. No, I'm saying you're it. You don't have to be an evangelist you don't have to have the gift of the evangelist you don't have to be a preacher you're a human being that the spirit of God lives in and his power and his person in you speaks through you lives through you talks through you makes his presence known through you and there's people that you're going to reach that nobody else on this planet can reach and if you don't reach them no one is going to reach them Jesus told the story. This is not a parable. There are many parables in the Bible where Jesus tells a story. It's not a true story. It's it's something that's an allegory that points to to a greater truth. But this is not an allegory. This is not a parable. This is a real person. This is a real story. These are are two real people. Jesus says in Luke chapter 16 that that there was a rich man who who would dress in purple and fine linen feasting lavishly every day. So you get a picture, he's rich, he's dressed in purple, meaning probably he's got some royalty blood in his body, fine linen, he has the best of the best, feasting lavishly. Verse 20, but a poor man named Lazarus. This is a different Lazarus than Jesus raised from the dead. But a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores was left at his gate, at the rich man's gate. And he, Lazarus, he longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table. But instead, the dogs would come and lick his sores. And one day, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side, to Abraham's bosom, meaning heaven, the place where Abraham was. The poor man went to heaven. The rich man also died and was buried and being in, notice this, the rich man being in torment in hell or in Hades, the lake of, the rich man being in torment in hell, those are the words that we would use. He looked up and he saw Abraham a long way off. He saw Lazarus at his side. And the rich man who is in hell looks up and he sees Abraham in heaven and he sees Lazarus, the side of Abraham. And usually usually when we read this in church or when we're reading it in our personal Bible studies, we'll read it this way, verse 24. Father Abraham, he called out, "have, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. But that's not how the rich man said it. Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Please, please, water tip tip of my tongue, I'm in torment. He would have screamed. It wasn't Father Abraham, would you send some Pierre down here? It wasn't that way. He screamed, he's in torment. He's in an internal, destructive, horrible place. that was never prepared for people. It was prepared for the devil and his, and his angels, the demons. It was never prepared for people, but people who shake their fist in the face of God and say, I'm going to live my life my own way. I'm going to do it my way. I don't need God. I don't want God. I want to do what I want to do, how I want to do it, my whole life. I want to live how I want to live. And God says, Okay. Have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this flame. And there's this conversation that is taking place out here in eternity. Conversation is taking place between the rich man who's in hell and Abraham who's in heaven. And it's quite fascinating to me because Almighty God is telling us about a conversation that is taking place out in eternity. And it's not a parable. It's not an allegory. It's a real conversation that is taking place. And, and, and the poor, I mean, the rich man says to, to Abraham, would you send Lazarus with would, would just, just, just a drop of water on my tongue? I am in agony in this place. That's what hell is, It's agony it's darkness, it's fire, it's torment, it's it's hopeless, it's you never get out. He didn't have to go there. The, 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 rich, the rich man is not in hell because he is rich in the things of this world. The rich man is in hell because he is poor in the things of God. The the, the poor man's not in heaven because he's poor in the things of this world and God felt sorry for him and so he just carried him to heaven the the poor man is in heaven not because he was poor in the things of this world but because he was rich in the things of God the conversation's taking place between Abraham and this man this man that's in hell and and he's he's screaming out and and Abraham says in verse 25 Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things, but now he's comforted here while you are in, what's that word he used? He's tormented, he's, he's agonizing. And Abraham is saying to the man in hell, besides all this, there's a great chasm that's been fixed between us and you. So those who, who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us. Meaning, when you get where you're going, the address doesn't change. And and the rich man is in hell. 2,000 years after Jesus told this true account, he's still in hell. Two thousand years from now, ten thousand years, years from now, a hundred thousand years from now, a trillion—hell is no joke. We we laugh, we laugh about it. You know, we we use the word sometimes flippantly. There is nothing flippant about hell. There's nothing flippant. The eternal souls of the dams who are assigned there forever because of their own decision. This man, is, he's in hell and he's crying out to Abraham. And, and when, when, when Abraham says, listen, even those of us up here, if we wanted to get to you, to get you out of there, to bring you up here, that's not the way it works. He can't do that. We can't get to you from there. You can't get to us from where you are. And it's, it's, it's interesting that... This conversation is taking place. Two dead men are talking. Two dead men are talking. One's in hell and one's in heaven. It's interesting. Uh, you know, we have that little phrase. People have that phrase: "Dead men can't talk," but that's not true. Dead men do talk. They talk all the time. They're talking here. Years ago. Years ago, there was this guy's name was was Roger Tui. Interesting name, Tui. Say the name Tui. Tui was he was part of the the mob, the mafia, Chicago, and um, Tui was part of of that underground world of dark. and And one day, one day, they they the federal guys caught Tui, took him to court, charged him with the crime, took him to court. Went to prison for 25 years. And all during those years in prison, the, the feds were hoping that they would be able to get information out of him. Roger, would you tell us about this? And Rod, he never said a word. Roger never said a word. He never told anybody anything for 25 years. He never said anything about his, his crimes. He never said anything about the mob. He, he kept his mouth closed 25 years. True story, he got, 25 years later, they let him out. And, and when they let him out, he went home, never said anything to anybody. And it was, I think it was either the night before or Christmas night. He's, he's walking down the sidewalk in the Chicago neighborhood and a car peels around the corner, comes up the street, machine gun, sticks out the window. You know what happened? They gunned him down. Roger Tui died in his own pool of ever pool of ever increasing blood, and, and the newspaper said the next day that obviously it was a it was a gang-related killing because you know Roger knew things and the mafia didn't want him to tell things that he knew, and so they gunned him down, they murdered him, and he died there on the sidewalk because there's this there's this belief within organized crime that dead men don't talk. Dead men do talk. They talk all the time. Hebrews says, even though they're dead, yet they still speak. Their lives speak to us. Their testimonies speak to us. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's the same way. You, you have dead men that are talking, that are trying to tell us some things that we need to know. In this conversation that's taking place out there in eternity. They're talking and Abraham says to the rich man, I can't help you. I can't relieve your suffering for a moment. I can't do anything to get where you are. You can't do anything to get where I am. And so it's interesting the dead man who's alive in hell, he says, verse, Look at verse 27 Father, th- then I beg you to send him to my father's house because I have five brothers. To warn them so that they also won't come to this place of torment. I'm convinced that in many cases the best evangelists in the world are in hell. I don't mean the saved evangelists. I mean those who are in hell now have a very compelling case to say to those of us who are on this earth, you don't want to come here. And if there was a way for people to come back from heaven and face-to-face talk to us, it'd be interesting what they said. If there was a way for people from hell to come back from hell and talk to us, I'd freak you out. That doesn't happen. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, those in hell make great evangelists. I I, I pray, would you just, would would you send him, To go back to my, I've got five brothers. They're in the same place I am. I mean, they're in the same shape I am. They believed what I believed on the earth. They lived like I lived on the earth. Their faithless life was like my faithless life was on the earth. I don't want my family to come here. I don't want people that I love to come here. It's not that I, it's not that I just don't want people that I love and know. I don't want anybody to go there. You don't want anybody. I know the world is a hard place. I know that as time goes on, it gets darker. This says it was going to be that way. Pastor Brian's always reminding us of the truth that as time wraps up, things are going to get darker and they're going to get harder. And, 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 and people are getting Harder and they're getting darker. I, I can remember it wasn't that long ago. I, I can remember just walking down the street and you would talk to individuals on the street about their lives, about their families, about their faith, about the condition of their souls. And, and you would hear people say years ago things like, man, I need to get right with God. They'd use words years ago like, um, man, I'm backslid. Remember that? When's the last time you heard that word? I, I, need, I, I, need, to, I need to get back right with God. I, You talk to people today and they say, man, what in the world are you talking about? You believe there's a God? You believe there's a real place called heaven, a real place called hell? You, you think that Bible is true? Man, what is wrong with you? And of course, the enemy convinces us it's just not, it's just not worth it. What can you do? The world is such a dark place. You, you need to know that there are tens of millions upon tens of millions of people right now that are highly receptive to the gospel. There's basically five different categories of people. I won't go into all that, but you have, you have those that are highly antagonistic. You talk to them about Christ. You talk to them about faith. You talk to them about God. Man, they will cuss you out. Some of them will slap you in the face. But they are very small, very small percentage of people in the country. And then there are those who are quite... Indifferent, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to talk to you. There are those that God is working on, and they are close to being caught, but they're not quite ready yet. But then there's this other category of people that are highly receptive to faith. They're highly receptive to the gospel. They're highly receptive to truth. They're highly receptive to you. The Holy Spirit of God has been working in their lives. Circumstances around them have opened their eyes to the reality that they need more than themselves. He's sitting on his couch in his living room with a loaded pistol. And he's praying, God, if you don't send somebody, I'm ending it, I need. He didn't know what he needed, he didn't know how he needed, he didn't know what he needed to do, but he called out to God, God, I'm tired of this, I'm done with this. The man obviously wasn't born again. He wasn't a Christian. He wasn't saved. He didn't know what to do. But he's sitting there with a pistol in his hand. And you know what he's getting ready to do. God, would you sin? I'm telling you. That particular night, there happened to be three people that that were in the neighborhood. God sent them to that house. Guess what that man did? He put his pistol down. He opened his heart up. He raised his hands out. He put his foot down. And he gave his heart to Jesus. I can tell you a hundred stories just like that. I I, I can give you the names. I can give you the places. I can tell you here. I can tell you in other places across the country. I'm just telling you. There are so many people that are highly receptive and they they just need somebody to come to them and say some things to them to help them for the light to turn on, for the heart to open up, to trust in truth and not a lie because there is only one who is truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through him. I'm I'm just wondering. Don't raise your hands, but... I'm just wondering right now who the Holy Spirit is putting on your mind. You're thinking about them and you say, I know, and you're thinking about their names. Do do this if you would. It won't take you 15 seconds. Just pretend like your finger is a pen and your palm is a piece of paper. Would you write that name down on the palm of your hand? That person that you know that doesn't know him, would you write that name down? Just write them down. We were doing some training. It was years ago. We were doing some training. And, and, um, and, and on Tuesday nights, we would, we would train folks in evangelism. And then we would, we would go out and, and teams of three would, would knock on doors. People don't do that anymore. Have you noticed that? You know, pe- people say evangelism doesn't work anymore. No, it doesn't work if you don't do it. D.L. Moody's on the street of Chicago one day and and his years ago, he's he's sharing his faith. He's standing by a light pole. There's a lady standing beside of him and he shares the gospel with her and she says, Mr. Moody, I don't like the way that you share the gospel. He says, ma'am, well, how do you do it? She says, I don't do it. He says, well, I like the way I do it better than the way you don't do it. (laughs) What I'm saying to you is evangelism doesn't work if you don't open your mouth. There are people that you know that won't hear the truth if you don't speak the truth because they're not coming in here. I don't care how great of a church we are. I don't care how many things we do to attract people. Don't care how great the message is from the pulpit, how wonderful the music is, how great our programs and our ministries are, and we got great programs and ministries here from preschool to the grave. It's, it's, it's amazing how much God is doing in this place. My point is, it makes no difference how well we do what we do here. For most people, they're not coming in here. They're not interested. They didn't get up this morning wondering, well, whose church am I gonna go to? They don't even think they should be in church. They don't think that God even matters in their lives. They don't know what they don't know. And since they're not here and they're not coming here, who's going to reach them? I know what we do. Somebody else is going to reach them. (laughs) No. The conversation is taking place out in eternity. It's interesting, verse 29 says, but Abraham said, in response to what the rich man was saying, Abraham said, they, meaning your five brothers, they, they have Moses and the prophets, they should listen to them. Meaning, Moses and the prophets, where is what they said written down right here? They've got truth. They can read truth. Truth. They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to him, they will repent. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Why is the rich man in hell? In the true account, Jesus gives the one word, the one reason why he's there. There's only one word reason. It's just one word. Did you see it? What's the word? What's the one word right here in verse 30 that gives you the key of why the rich man is in hell? What's the word? Repent. Say the word with me out loud. Repent. 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 They will repent, meaning I never did. People paint this rich man as some sorry good-for-nothing, irreligious, faithless man that lived like a demon. That is not the picture of Scripture in his life. The fact that he was dressed in purple means he was probably most likely he was religious, linen, well-respected, He might have owned the factory that all the people in the town worked at. There is nothing in this story that Jesus tells us about how terrible this man was. There was apparently from the scripture, from what it says about him, there was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. The descriptions about him was he was not only a good man, most likely he was a religious man. He might have been in church every every Saturday, Sabbath. Might have been there every Saturday. But going to church is not what gets you in heaven. Amen. It is not the door of the church that opens the doors of heaven. It is the person of Jesus that opens the doors of heaven. Yes, the doors of the church are important, but the doors of the church are not the gates of heaven. And and this man, even though most likely he was religious and even though he was a good man and he was well respected in the community and he was involved in a lot of things that apparently helped a lot of people's lives, he failed to do this one thing, just one thing. He failed to repent. And because of that, he's in hell. God, all these great things I did in life, but you never repented. All the people that I helped, but you never repented. The good that I did, but you never, the the church services I went to, but you never repented. The prayers that I prayed, but you never repented. The Bible times that I I read your word, but you never repented. Harold was sitting right there. Harold, here's, I'm not pointing at Harold here. Harold was sitting in his living room and Harold was he was a gracious man he was he was loving he was kind he was in church he believed everything that this book says and and every word that this says is true he prayed I, I remember I remember the conversation we're having and he said He believed everything that God told him was true. Harold's problem was this. He believed it was all true, but he never repented and accepted it for himself until that night. It was the most glorious thing. I just remember sitting there listening to Harold say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and that you died on the cross for my sins and I believe that I am a sinner and I want to ask you to forgive me of my sins. I want you to come into my life and change. I want to be a Christian. I want to follow you. I give to you my life. It was a glorious thing. There were a lot of things Harold said that night, but I'm just saying his problem was he knew what the truth was. But he never trusted it for himself. He, he knew what the truth was, but he never believed, trusted in Christ personally for his own salvation. He had never repented until that night. It was this man's problem. Look look back back at verse thirty again, church. But if someone from the dead goes to them, he said they will repent. Have you repented? not asking if you go to church obviously you go to church I'm not asking you if you believe that this book is true I would suppose most of us in this room we know this book is true and for those of us in this room who might question that this book is true just because you have a question about whether or not it's true whether or not it's true it is true truth is truth whether I believe it or not truth is truth whether I live it or not me denying truth doesn 't change what truth is so so here is a man who never repented i 'm asking you, have you i 'm just asking you, and really, the heart of today mainly isn 't about you it 's about them it 's about the harvest. Right now, it's still daylight. Right now, there's still time to go. Right now, there's still work in the field to do. Right now, there are still hordes of people who are highly receptive to the gospel. And they're just not confused people that are sitting in the living room with a pistol in their hand. They're good people that work jobs every day and they've got, they've got strong families and, and they are good people in their community, but they've never, they've never repented. And what I'm noticing in culture is Culture's working really hard to try to convince you to bushel your light. Oh, come in here. Believe what you want to in here. Sing what you want to in here. Say what you want to in here. Live what you want to in here. But when we get out there, bushel it. Close your face. Zip your lip close your heart just let people go I don't want to let people go to hell when I can do something about it well how long Mike can you do something about it till I die how long are you going to fight till I die how long are you going to speak till I die how long are you going to try to reach them till I die well, what if, what, if, what if they don't accept Christ? I'll go back another day. What if they say no? What they said no today. That doesn't mean they'll say no tomorrow. Amazing what happens in their lives between today and tomorrow. What if they say no tomorrow? Well, I'll go, I'll talk to them next time I see them, next week, next month. I'm just asking who do you know that doesn't know him You know, when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And he said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. When he said, go, that's the evangelism part. Make disciples, that's that's the main verb. That's, That's our job on this earth is to make disciples. In English, it's two words. In Greek, it's just one word it's a word that means that's our that's our job that's what we're called to do that's what we're left on this planet to do is to make disciples what disciples are you making who are you reaching who are you helping on this journey I'm not doing this as a guilt thing I don't mean it that way I, I just know you take the hundreds of us in this room So what if before the end of the year is out, we've all reached one person for Christ and we've helped them to grow? August, September, October, November, December, last day of, of, of July. So we got five months left. What if, what if by the end of the year, all of us in this room will have just reached one person for Christ? Just one? I don't know how many's in here. Hundreds are in here. So at the end of December 31st, the, let, let's say there's four Let's say there's 500 people in this room. I don't know how many people are in this room. Let's say there's 500. By the end of December, we're now 1,000, right? And what if we disciple them, we help train them, we help grow them so that they in turn go and they reach someone else? By the end of December of next year, the 500 of us became 1,000 because by the the end of December this year, the 500 of us became 1,000. And then next year we go reach another person for Christ and that person that we reach reaches another person for Christ. And by the end of next year, the 500 we started out with is now 2,000. The next year, the 2,000 is 4,000. Next year, the 4,000 is 8,000. You see how when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations, um, that's how he planned to do it. For us, not just to enjoy our faith, but for us to share our faith and live our faith and try to reach other people for Christ. It is interesting to me, if you do the math, if you do the math, we, we in this room, just in this room, if you do the math, we in this room, if we will reach people for Christ and disciple those people, you do the math, you can reach the world for Christ in one generation. You could. Well, why are the generations not reached? Because we stopped doing evangelism and discipleship because we quit reaching people. Somebody convinced us that evangelism doesn't work anymore. I don't know, Romans 1.16 says something like this, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And then the verse continues. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. I'm just asking you, do you think the gospel still has power today? Do you think God knew what 2022 would be like? You think when he wrote this book that he knew what the world was going to be like in 2022? You know, I'm just joking. He's, yeah, he knows. And yet the gospel is still the power of God unto salvation. I doubt there's a week that goes by that, that because of the ministry of this church, there are not multiple people who give their lives to Christ. Because I watch them. I hear the stories. I see them. I listen to the prayers of the people that pray to receive Christ. I, I, I watch every once in a while when I'm able to be in here in the hands that go up and say, I'm receiving Christ as my Savior today. Well, what if we just became an army and went after as many people as we can... What if we went and rescued the perishing and cared for the dying and snatched them from pity and sin in the grave? What if we went and talked to everybody that we know who doesn't know Christ? Invite them to our homes, have meals with them, hang out with them at the lake. Share our faith, share our love and never stop fishing until the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time will be no more. Father, I I pray that in this time you've given us today, I pray that our hearts would break for those people that your hearts break for. Lord, it's a glorious thing when when we come into your presence and when we praise, when we sing, when we worship. It's a miraculous thing when we walk out of this room and live our faith. out in public God is a transformational thing when we in humility pray and just care enough about people to share the only hope that we've got and the only hope that they've got the gospel of Jesus Christ I I pray that as a result of being together today we, we would leave this place and this week this very week there would be people who open their lives to Christ because of our witness. Not just the witness of our lives, but the witness of our lips. God uses us. Used us to be light in the darkness and hope in the despair. Use us to be joy in brokenness. God, reach people by your spirit that lives in us reach people for you God I pray for those in this room who have never accepted you as their savior I pray that today they would say yes to you they would open their lives to the savior of the world Who doesn't just want to sit on the throne of heaven? Who wants to sit on the throne of our lives and our hearts? Jesus, through our lives, may you be glorified. May somebody that's in darkness today (laughs) not be in darkness tomorrow because you've put us together and they've seen and heard truth and they've accepted your truth. God, use us to make a difference for eternity. In Jesus' name, we pray. Praise the name. Praise the name of Jesus.